reading this evening is from Genesis 28, Jacob's dream at Bethel. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angel of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And, all, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So have we got any uh, Star Wars fans in the building. Come on, put your hands up. Mark Cameron, he is a beloved Star Wars fan. Yeah, a few Star Wars fans. Uh, okay, I am not a Star Wars fan, but my youngest child, Finian, who is eight, absolutely adores Star Wars. He's seen all the films. Uh, his bedroom is a bit like, well, one half of the bedroom is like a shrine to Star Wars Lego. Um, he's built a Millennium Falcon, a Jedi TIE fighter, does that sound about right? Yeah. And various other <laughs> things. And there's like a million Lego figures that have jewels every so often. And uh, once we spent about two weeks just trying to find this particular little Lego figure from Star Wars, because he had a green lightsaber or something like that. Uh, he is a bit obsessed with Star Wars. Uh, he has Lego, uh, he has that Star Wars fancy dress as well. And you know, I try to be enthusiastic as a mother uh, about his little obsession with Star Wars. Um, but really, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have a clue about anything to do with Star Wars. But whether you're a, a Star Wars junkie like Finian or not like me, I expect about 95% of us in this building tonight will be familiar with a particular moment in Star Wars which basically changes everything. 
It happened in episode five, The Empire Strikes Back. It was released in 1980. I know that because uh, my dad was a youth worker in the church at the time. And I think some of the young people in the church thought, wouldn't it be lovely? We'll take Libby out to the cinema uh, for the afternoon, give her mum and dad uh, a bit of peace and quiet. They took me to the cinema in Sheffield and literally it scarred me for life. I was absolutely petrified the whole way through Empire Strikes Back. But... In that moment, fans, there was a particular scene, and fans were ready uh, to see, near the end of the the, uh, film, Luke Skywalker following in his father's footsteps and becoming uh, a Jedi master. Uh, But right near the end of the film, there was this climatic uh, battle for Cloud City between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. The fans were literally on their edge, the edge of their seat thinking, what on earth is going to happen? This is incredible. This is incredible. But during the duel, we get to this incredible scene, the big plot twist, and we're just going to watch about 16 seconds of it now. No, I am your father. I can't do it very well. Um, it was an incredible plot twist, and it was so dramatic. You know, fans were shocked. It was such an incredible thing. But that moment changed the rest of the the sort of history of Star Wars. That moment has underpinned the rest of the Star Wars saga that we've been enjoying or not ever since. (laughs) And I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, Jacob, Jacob, who we just heard about in our reading just then, his life is a little bit like the Star Wars saga. It's basically this huge family drama um, with all sorts of dramatic plot twists that come across uh, Jacob's path at various points. So let's bring us up to speed what's happened before the the bit that we got to in our reading that Marjorie just read to us. Uh, So Jacob has a twin brother, Esau, and and they have a rather interesting uh, relationship. uh, And it's often due to the fact that actually they were treated quite differently by their mum and dad. So uh, Jacob uh, is his mother's favourite. His mum's called Rebecca, uh, and she adores Jacob. He's like a proper mummy's boy. He's academic. He's smooth-skinned, we find out. Um, And she thinks he's the bee's knees. Whereas Esau, who is the older twin, he's a rough, hairy, sort of man's man, think Mark Cameron, and he (laughs) goes out and he... And he goes out and he like hunts and brings food uh, for his father, Isaac. And they have a really rough time in their family. So perhaps if you're sat there thinking, my family's an absolute disaster uh, tonight, yours is probably nothing, not a patch on the family drama that was happening in the home of Rebecca and Isaac with these two sons, Jacob and Esau, at this time. There's tension in the homestead. And things completely reach ahead uh, when Jacob, the second-born twin, basically tricks his father, Isaac, into giving him the birthright and the blessing that belonged to the first-born twin, Esau. That was a completely, like, off-the-wall thing to do. It was not a good thing. And as you can imagine, after that, things 
go from bad to worse uh, at their home. Uh, basically, Esau plots to kill Jacob. Uh, Jacob um, knows that as soon as his father, Isaac, dies, his brother Esau is going to be after him. So after a while, uh, Rebecca, the mom, packs Jacob off and says, you know, you've got to escape. Uh, go off uh, to your uncle Laban. He lives 500 miles away, but it's the only way you're going to escape. Otherwise, you're going to get killed by your brother. Things aren't looking so good for Jacob at this point. Jacob's life has just always been marked by struggle. Hosea, the prophet, writes this about Jacob. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. Jacob's whole life becomes one of struggle. Struggle with other people, struggle in his relationships, and struggle with God as well. And maybe that sounds familiar to many of us in this room tonight. So here in this passage that Marjorie read to us, we meet Jacob, a man who is struggling, a man who is on the run, a man who is literally escaping for his life, and a man who finds himself very much alone. He's on this 500-mile journey uh, to stay with his family. And, and when we meet him in the passage from Genesis 28, he's already been walking for three days. So he must be well out in the, in the wilderness. And as we've heard, the struggle he's experiencing, the situation that he finds himself in, is actually pretty much self-inflicted. He's seriously messed up things at home. And so he's basically had to escape for his life. He's ultimately in self-inflicted exile. Maybe you're already relating to Jacob a little bit in terms of your own life. Maybe you, like me, sometimes mess up. We find ourselves alone. We find ourselves cut off. Maybe we feel separate from other people or we're in an experience where we just feel like we're wandering in the desert at the moment. You might have that sense of feeling in exile, sort of separated from your family at the moment for whatever reason. And it just doesn't feel like a right place, a happy place to be. It might not be your fault. It might be the circumstances that you found yourself in. It might be because somebody has treated you badly or something's happened in a relationship to cause it to break down. And it can just feel like we're alone in the desert like Jacob was. If life feels a bit like that at the moment, listen on. Because our God is a God of surprises. Our God is a God of twists and turns. Our God is a God who comes close and radically changes the rest of the plot. And so as the sun goes down, Jacob is out there in the middle of nowhere. He, he lies down exhausted. He's been walking for three days. He's at the end of himself. And he finds a rock. It's the only thing he can find to be a pillow. Uh, and he lays his head on it. His whole circumstances are pretty rough. He's isolated from his place and his people. But he also feels in this moment isolated from God too. He knows he's messed up. He probably knows that God is seriously annoyed with him in the way he's deceived his brother and his dad. But also, he's isolated from God because at this time, 
people believed that God was sort of resident in their place, in their home, with their people. And so as somebody who's had to leave his place and his people, who is in the middle of nowhere, Jacob will have felt so isolated from God because God is back there. And here Jacob is out here in the middle of nowhere. He's isolated from his people and he's isolated from God. But this is where the big plot twist happens. This is the big, no, I am your father moment. Because God is a God of surprises. And in that moment where Jacob is alone, far from home, isolated from his place and his people and his God, God rocks up. God turns up even though Jacob has seriously messed up. God turns up not to tell Jacob off, to tell him all the stuff he's done wrong in his life, but to reassure him of his presence, of his promise, and of his protection to him. And so Jacob's lying there, head on the rock, really cozy, uh, and he has this dream. He has a dream of a stairway uh, that's going between heaven and earth. Uh, there were so many bad, cheesy pictures of a stairway to heaven uh, on um, Google. This is like the best, I'm telling you. If you're an artist, this is your moment. Um, so Jacob has this dream of this stairway going from earth to heaven, and there are angels ascending and descending this stairway to heaven. It's an incredible moment. It's like God is saying to Jacob, he's giving Jacob his own like personal visual aid in that moment, uh, and the flight of steps between heaven and earth and these angels going up and down them. It's like God is saying, I am here. You might feel isolated, you might feel alone, but I'm actually not that far away. It's like Jacob has sort of stumbled into this portal uh, between heaven and earth. And it's a powerful reminder to Jacob, and it's a powerful reminder to all of us that God is closer than we think. God is closer than we think. We sometimes get so involved in our present circumstances, don't we? In our earthly reality, that we think that this is all there is. Even though we might know there is more to life than this, we act as though this is all there is. We feel overwhelmed by our problems or overwhelmed by our worries. We, we focus completely, don't we, on what's happening tomorrow, what's happening next week. We think all the time about, you know, what's going on at school or uni or work in the next little while. And those feelings can overwhelm us, whether they're positive or negative. We aim at being brilliant at what we do, or making a success of our lives, or just surviving in our lives. Our present reality becomes all there is. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the earthly presence, we forget that God is closer than we think. And this visual aid that's given to Jacob of this stairway between heaven and earth is just a brilliant illustration for us that God is closer than we think and the spiritual world is closer than we think. 
The Holy Spirit is at work in the world today. The Holy Spirit is at work in our lives today. At 9 a.m. on Thursday morning, Ray, uh, as you've just heard, was lying in his hospital room in the hospice. And one of the nurses uh, entered the room and suggested to the family that she just open the curtains uh, a little bit uh, so that the sun could just come through the curtains and shine on Ray's um, face as he lay there in his hospital bed. Everybody knew that he didn't have very long left. And then somebody else in the room, and his family aren't Christians, um, said to to, uh, somebody else that was there, why don't we put on some of that church music that Ray likes? And somebody went, yeah, that's a great idea. That's great. And the song that came on was 10,000 Reasons by Matt Redman. First couple of verses went through, and it got to the third verse. And these were the words that were sung. On that day when my strength is failing... The end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. And then Ray died. Sometimes we get a glimpse that heaven is closer than we think. What an incredible way to die. Ray always said he wasn't scared of death, but he was a bit scared of dying. He died in an incredible way. These places where God seems so close to us, uh, where there is a real sense of the power and the presence of God, are sometimes uh, called or referred to by people as thin places. And you might have a place like that in your life. It may be in this church or in another uh, church that you're from. It may be uh, when you're going up off the seat or walking by the sea. It might be a a room in your house or a chair that you like to sit in when you're praying. Uh, Those sort of thin places where it just feels so much easier when you're there to connect with, to listen to God, to speak to God. And sometimes we're just so busy rushing around, consuming life. Sometimes we're just so busy filling every moment of our day with stuff and busyness and people. And even when we're sat down in our house, we don't give ourselves any space. So we get out our phones and we just flick through social media. We're so busy filling every moment of our lives that we miss out on those thin places. When we're just walking, when we're just sat, when God just wants to meet with us. So Jacob has stumbled into this thin place. And he has this supernatural, awesome encounter with God. And he is just completely blown away. I don't know whether you've had a sort of amazing encounter with God. And you sort of come out of it and you think, whoa, that was like completely amazing. And that is exactly how Jacob feels when he wakes up from this incredible dream. And he says this in verse 16. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not even aware of it. How awesome is this place, he says. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. It's in his isolation that he finds that God is indeed with him. In a place and in a way that he never ever expected. And it's in this place that God reassures Jacob that despite everything, his presence is with him. 
His promise is with him and his protection is over him. You see, God knows exactly what Jacob needs in this moment because he knows Jacob. He has plans and purposes for Jacob. He's known Jacob since before he was born. And so he knows exactly what Jacob needs to hear in this moment. If you look at verses 13 to 15, it's incredible, really. Um, Jacob has just left his home. And this is a massive deal in this time. You know, there is no FaceTime. There's no Royal Mail. There was no bus to travel the 500 miles to go back and and visit his family again. It would basically be no contact. It was a massive deal. Jacob has left his home. And have you seen what God says to him? God says, I will give you a new land. I will give you a land, a new home. Remember, Jacob is completely alone. He's away from his beloved uh, mum and his dad's died and his brother's out to murder him. And God says to him, I will give you a people. In fact, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. He's basically going to give him this massive extended family. And despite the deceit, the way he's betrayed his brother and his dad, God says to him this, I will bring you back to this land. Because there's always grace. There's always a way back. There's always reconciliation. Jacob is alone in this world. And he's probably feeling really vulnerable. Not least because he's out in the wilderness completely on his own. And do you see what God says to him? God says, I am with you. And I will be with you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. God knows. He knows Jacob and he knows exactly what Jacob needs. Time and again in my life, I found that God knows exactly what I need, exactly when I need it. And it's not necessarily what I think I need or when I need it. And that's because God knows me. God is the creator of all heaven and earth, and yet he knows every hair on my head, even the ones that are going gray. He knows everything I think. He knows everything I experience. There is absolutely nothing that I can hide from him. There's nothing about me that he doesn't want to know either. He knows things about me before I do. And I remember a few years ago, uh, just after uh, we'd come here to P's and G's, and we were, I was at Kingdom Come, uh, which is happening tomorrow night, and I was just still in that rather odd place when you move somewhere new, uh, where you're feeling a bit unsettled, where you're like, why am I here? Uh, why did God bring me here? I know it's right, but I don't quite know why I'm here. And on the, it was a Thursday evening, um, and on that Thursday evening, I was stood about there, uh, sort of where Nate and the young people are sat. And, um, and just completely out of the blue, we were worshipping, singing worship songs. I just found myself in a thin space. It just felt like God was so close that if I'd opened my eyes in that moment, like Jesus would have been like there, I could almost feel his breath on me. 
Jesus was so close, and it was a beautiful place to be. And I knew the love of God, and I knew the presence of God and the reassurance of God in that moment. I knew that God had plans and purposes uh, for my life. And then he said something really random to me as well. And I just thought, oh, that's a bit random. But I went home, and the next day I wrote down uh, what I'd felt God say to me that night. And I had no idea what it meant. It just was a bit weird. But I did know after that evening that God had this, that God had me, that he knew. He knew why I was here. And he knew that I needed to know his presence. And it wasn't until about six months after that evening that what he'd said to me, what I'd written down in my journal, started to make sense to me. And I wonder if this is a bit of what's happening to Jacob here. He woke up from this incredible dream, and he immediately recognizes the significance of that moment and of what had happened. He has been reassured by God's presence with him, his promise to him, and his protection over him. But he hasn't really got a clue what that will necessarily look like as the rest of his life is sort of uh, worked out. But it's something that reassures him and stays with him as he goes on the rest of his journey through his mega family saga. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking that actually some of us here tonight just need to know that God has got this. He knows you, and he's closer than you think. So Jacob takes that stone that he's had his head lying on and he he, he places it on top of a pillow and then he gets some oil and he chucks some oil on the top of it. It was a bit bit of a weird thing to do, but in those days it made a lot of sense. It's basically going, this is a holy, a consecrated place. He's like anointing the stone with oil. We won't go into that too much at this moment. And then he says something really interesting. He says, he makes his commitment to God. God has made the commitment to him And now he's making a commitment to God. He says, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And he goes on. Now, you might look at that and think, well, it sounds like, uh, you know, Jacob's making a bit of a bargain with God. If God, you do this for me, then I will do it for you. But most people think that actually the if could well be since which makes a lot more sense. Since God will be with me and will will watch over me, since you have done this to me, God, then I will make the Lord my God. This is like a pivotal plot twist moment in Jacob's life. One of those moments where God turns up in an amazing way and he shakes things up and he shows Jacob just how much he loves him. He shows Jacob that his presence is with him. He shows Jacob that he has given him promises. He shows Jacob that he will go with him, that he will protect him in his life. Jacob had a God experience that was so mind-blowing and faith-changing that it kept him going through all the ups and downs that lay ahead in his family's life. And so I wonder, as we draw to a close, do you need to know tonight that God is closer 
than you think. God is closer than you've ever imagined. Do you need to know that God has got this? Whatever this is for you. Do you need to know that he knows, like he knew about Jacob, he knows exactly what you need? God had to literally stop Jacob in his tracks to get his attention. And so maybe for some of us tonight, this is our moment where God is stopping us in our tracks to get our attention. Because we maybe haven't got our phones out and are going through social media. And maybe God wants to speak to you in this moment and say something to you. Maybe God is closer than we think. So I'm going to invite uh, the band up and, and Josh is going to come up. But what I want us to do is just to start by sitting quietly in the presence of God. We're just going to be quiet first of all, no music, and just to listen, to listen to God, to say to God, here I am, show me more of yourself.